Well, I don't know um, what you think when you hear the word confess, confession. Uh, I don't know how it makes you feel. Uh, I'm guessing that we have a number of reactions to this theme that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks as we live life well. Confession comes with a whole host of connotations, doesn't it? Uh, Particularly depending on how we were brought up, what our churchmanship perhaps was growing up, uh, going to confession perhaps in some uh, uh, denominations. But the word confess actually means to agree in the Greek. It means to agree with the light, if you like, to agree with God. So when we see it as something heavy or onerous or guilt-ridden or shame-ridden, that's almost the opposite of what this passage presents to us in 1 John. And um, I don't know when you look at our world, I don't know how your couple of weeks have been. Uh, When I was first reading this passage for the talk a couple of weeks ago, uh, the news was uh, all about shame. Uh, Jeremy Kyle's show, for example, was taken off air. And can I just nail my colours to the mast and say I think that is absolutely the right thing and long overdue, in my opinion. Absolute show built on shaming people. What does that say about our culture uh, when there's a sort of public baiting of people and a man actually took his own life because of the shame uh, of that show? Uh, Guilty or not guilty, what a terrible, terrible state of affairs that was. So we know that we live in a world where shame is all around us and uh, we don't always know what to do with that shame. We don't know where to take it. And in this passage again, John is saying there is somewhere to take it. There's the light. There's the light of Christ. There's the fellowshipping of the Holy Spirit. We can confess our sins and he will see us uh, completely as righteous. I wonder um, whether you have a pet, and uh, raise your hand if you have a pet. Oh, oh gosh, we're quite animal lovers here, I think slightly more than Mosley. Um, well, if you have a pet, do you look anything like your pet? Because rumour has it, and theory goes, that we start to resemble our pets a little bit. Now, you might be thinking that's not true at all, and for some, that may not be the case. But for many, it is. And um, I'd love this to be a selection of Riversiders. It's not. I did ask people if they would send in photos, but we haven't got any. So these are some pictures of people with their dogs. And um, I don't know what came first, whether the dog looked a certain way and the person started doing their hair in a similar manner down here on the far left. I don't know. Uh, But certainly this sample of people do look incredibly like their own pets. And if we are going to be people that reflect the light, it seems to me that confession is very much part of us reflecting back the light that has saved and found us, the rescue that has found us, and reflecting that light to this shame-ridden world that needs to know that there is forgiveness, that there is hope. And actually, the more that we look at the light, the more that we get a chance to confess and to look like it. So just uh, in the next 20 minutes, we're just going to look at four things really about confession by way of introduction and by way of exploring this this really inspiring passage uh, in John. The first thing John says, actually just before in verse 4, he says, I'm writing to you so that you can be joyful. 
That's verse 4. That's the bit that comes before this section. So how strange then, for those of us who feel a bit heavy laden and onerous when we hear about confession, that John says, here is how I'm writing to you so that you might know joy. And then the next bit of the passage is all about confession. In other words, this is for our freedom. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That's how he begins. So after saying this is for your joy, so that you may be a joyful people, he says, God is light. So he's pointing our eyes first and foremost to look at the fact that God is holy, that there's no duplicity in him, there's no scheming in him, there's no darkness in him at all, that God is light. He's holy. Now, when I think about it, that surprised me because I thought it might begin with God is love. You know, that, that's kind of where I sit often. You know, if I'm talking to people about my faith, God is love, he's forgiving, all of that. But actually, no, John says God is light, first and foremost. He is holy. There's no darkness in him at all. So immediately, if you and I are honest, we think, oh, I'm not like that. <laughs> if he has no darkness in him, no shame, no guilt, no bad thoughts, no bad practice in him, we can start to distance ourselves a little bit and think, wow, God is holy and we're not worthy. But actually, then the passage comes to talk about through the blood of Jesus, we are forgiven and we draw near. Holiness and love in the same passage. The holiness of God that makes us want to confess because we just want to throw off anything. Now, can I just say something here just as a caveat? I do not believe that this is us digging into past sins that you, that you committed 14 years ago and bringing that out. I think it's pretty true that those sins are already under the grace of Jesus. But it's keeping our relationship alive just as we would with a husband, a wife, a friend, a partner. We want to keep close and we know that this stuff gets in the way. And so as we confess, we say, I just don't want that. I don't want to be wearing that. Because to be righteous is to be right with God. To be right with him. So there's something incredibly freeing and liberating about this. Interestingly, in the Bonhoeffer quote that we have in the booklet, which is a brilliant quote, um, he says this, why is it often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother or sister? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. So he's putting it out there saying, yes, this God is holy. And actually, our need to confess then does come to the fore a little bit more. We are surrounded by darkness. And Tim Keller says we're like a goldfish. Who has a goldfish here? Nice. Anyone else? Sorry to talk if it's raw, because I know they don't live that long. And there may be people <laughs> who are grieving and who are resentful of those like Tim who still has a living fish. However, uh, fish are born into water. They don't know anything else. That's their reality. They've never known anything else. It's only when they have perhaps a near-death experience where they jump out of the tank or the water enough to know, oh my goodness, I was in water. And we're the same. We're kind of born into selfishness. We're born into darkness. We're born into me, my needs. I want to rule the world. We're born into that. That's the natural state of us when we come into this world. We don't know any difference. But when we look at the light, when we see how beautiful and holy and godly that God is and Jesus is, we suddenly think, I want to look like that. 
And the more we look at him, the more we reflect him. Some of you will know, and some of you came, some of you stewarded brilliantly for the Passion Play in Birmingham just a few weeks ago, seems like quite a while ago now, that happened in our city. And we were wondering, as we kind of rehearsed and planned that event, how much heckling we would get, how much stuff thrown at us we would get when we enacted Jesus' death and resurrection, how much abuse we would get in our city. We had no police security at all for every performance of that that we did. And on the first day, on the Tuesday, Rachel Laurel, who heads up at Salt Mine Trust, who really convened and organized the event, she went early in the town and walked up New Street, where we were going to do the parade later in the day. And she said all around her, she saw darkness. She saw darkness in poverty, in begging, in despair, in, in just words that were being said, substances that were being smoked, you name it. She said, it is dark. And she walked through praying and she thought, Lord, how are we going to pull this off? How on earth will we pull this off without someone getting, you know, hurt at best, really? Um, how are we going to pull that off? And she didn't know, so she just said, well, you are the light that shines in the darkness. You're the hope of me, you're the hope of heaven. I leave it with you. And on the Tuesday, when we did finally launch and walk down New Street, shouting, our liberator is here, Jesus is here, freedom, our liberator is here, your liberator is here. She said she joined the procession. She's been a Christian for 50 years since she was six years old. And she said, I have never seen a vision. As when other people have said about that, I thought that's not me, I never have. She said she literally looked up and saw darkness parting overhead and light coming right down on us. And she said it wasn't just like, a, oh, the clouds have gone. It was an absolute vision of light pushing back darkness. Incredible. Why? Because we're telling the story of Jesus who is light, who is hope, and who does push back the darkness. And uh, I can honestly say, uh, uh, being just a very, very small fleeting part of that, that we did not get thrown stuff at, heckled at, spat at, in fact, the opposite. People just joined the parade. The only thing on the last day was a man who'd had a few drinks joined us for the Last Supper and tucked into the naan bread with us, which I thought was brilliant. Why not? It was there for all. And the other thing was a man who, when we were walking through the march, suddenly was going, cups for sale cups for sale. Um, maybe he was working for Elijah, I don't know. Um, but uh, he, was, he was there doing that. But other than that, and again, really amicable and lovely. How amazing in our city and what a time to be proud of our city. So we know that darkness is there, but we also remind ourselves today that light wins, that light pushes back the darkness. And I wonder if you struggle, as I certainly do and have done, certainly when I first became a Christian, with the difference between condemnation and conviction. Because this passage reminds us that we can fellowship with light. That actually, as we join in the fellowship with Jesus, we get to reflect the light. And we're going to do something physically to show that in a moment. Conviction or condemnation. When I first came to Christ, I would write down lists of all the things that I'd done wrong. They were quite long lists. And I was sharing um, 
a room at the time with uh, others in, in a kind of hostel thing where I was living. And uh, I would just write them out, write them out, write them out. And one of the lovely Christians there said to me, Judy, why are you doing that? And I said, oh, it's, I'm confessing. I'm confessing all these things. And she said, but you're forgiven. You're actually behaving as someone condemned rather than convicted. And gently, she explained to me the difference that conviction says, I just want rid of this darkness. I just want to confess so that I can have nothing that stands in the way of my closeness to God. But condemnation says something completely different. Brené Brown says, guilt says, I have made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Now, those are two extremes, but we get what she's saying, don't we? That we either wear our sin and it identifies us and we give ourselves a name and we call ourselves by it, or we say, no, I'm taking my guilt and I'm confessing it either to one another and to God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. As we come to communion in a few minutes' time, we are purified from all sin. Yes, he will still convict us by his spirit. He will do that, but we get to confess to him and confess to other people. And it is really important, we've said this before and we will say it again, your life groups can be your lifeline. Your triplets can and will be your lifeline because you get to share this stuff with them. And even as I'm saying that, you're probably thinking, I don't want to, thank you very much. I don't want to tell them about my stuff. But that's the model of this passage, that as we fellowship with the light, if, if God is holy and we are able to look him in the face and say, I've messed up, surely then we can do that for one another. And actually, I really believe if we're going to be a real church, and there's a lovely sense of family here at Bourneville, there is a lovely sense of closeness, but how do we preserve that by keeping it real? If we have a Sunday face, a Sunday distance, a kind of way of behaving that actually belies what we're feeling, we will not have this fellowship with the light that, that actually John is talking about. My triplet, one of them's here, the others aren't. There are four of us because we can't count. Um, but we have been a triplet now for, for some time. And I confessed to them weeks ago now that I really knew that I was using food and wine to really take away pain in my life and that I didn't want to be doing it, that I would come home from work on a hot day and actually if the screw top was there, I would have a glass of wine. I would eat more than I needed to or should. Now, I don't share that with you easily, particularly as a leader, but I share it at cost because I believe, as I did with them, I believe that it didn't really look very good and it didn't make me feel very good either. So actually in confessing it to them, I said, keep me to account on this so that I can be free of it. Confession is good for the soul. That's an old phrase, but it is true. And it's giving people permission. It's not carte blanche. You can walk up to someone and say, I think you're having a bit too much or whatever. That's not what this is about. It's about us bringing it to the table and saying, I personally am wrestling with this and I need this light. Uh, I need it. So confession is good for us and it is good to share. And um, as we come to communion, this is a painting by Rembrandt that I really like. Um, 
I don't know if you can see the two kind of protagonists in it. Rembrandt was very obsessed with light and dark, as some of you will know in his paintings. And this is the woman caught in adultery. If you know the story in the New Testament, basically people gathered, a bit like Jeremy Kyle's show, it was happening back then, and they said, let's shame this woman here. Look, she's an adulterer. They named her by her sin. They said that's who she is, and here she is, contrite, confessing down here, and here is Jesus. He's very tall, by the way. I don't know why Rembrandt made him quite so tall, but that's him, the very tall man there. And he is lit, and so is she. The accusers are in shadow, interestingly, because she is fellowship she's fellowshipping with Jesus. He's looking at her, and actually he says, well, let him or her who is without sin cast, you know, go on, be my guest, cast the first stone. In other words, if you are without sin, you throw a stone at this woman and they're silenced. And you and I are the same. Quick to judge others, but we don't like it when it reflects back on ourselves. So as we look at this passage, let's fellowship with the light in our own hearts. Let's accept that actually we are forgiven and we've been given a safe place to take the things that just get in the way of our righteousness, that get in the way. A beautiful picture, I think, of light in the darkness, a woman set free uh, rather than being named by her sin. Um, there's a, a quote by Ricardo Sanchez. It's not on the screen. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. It's a big difference. Don't let the things that you know about you, the secret things that perhaps really label you, don't let that become your identity. This is an opportunity, and we're going to confess in a moment. It's just an opportunity, not to each other, just to God here but just to say, I want rid, I want to say that I don't want that in my life anymore, and I confess it to you. A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother or sister knows that he's no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Sin leads to loneliness. The wages of sin, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, is aloneness and then death. Confession brings us back together. It fellowships us with each other and with God.